Jedi Council is a podcast for entertainment and informational purposes only. It should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council podcast where we like to explore mental health and your favorite fictional characters. This is your Jedi Council graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your Jedi Council co-host, associate professor. I said that in the wrong <laughs> wrong order, Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm good. It's been a little bit of a rough <laughs> week for, for the Jedi Council co-hosts. For our viewers, we have one Jedi Council co-host with an elevated foot. Yes. Uh, I fell down the stairs, and I'm okay, but I did sprain my ankle, mm-hmm. so... And I just came from the dentist, which is never good, and it sounds like I have a wisdom tooth that needs to come out, which is also never great. Yeah, so, so we're not in our tip-top shape no, today. We're a little weaker than usual, yeah. but we'll come back stronger <laughs> we'll than ever. Uh, not only has it been a busy week in terms of injuries, uh, but also in terms of guest starring, which is kind of cool. Uh, we, Katie and I were both on SPSM, which is uh, Suicide Prevention Social Media, which was a lot of fun. We did that on Sunday evening. Uh, it's uh, Folks who aren't familiar, SPSM is a weekly uh, live-streamed um, event on YouTube that goes along with a Twitter chat. And it's always about uh, something related to suicide prevention or they cover a wide variety of topics, but typically suicide prevention falls under there. And we got to talk about Jedi Council and particularly Rick and Morty, so that was a lot of fun. Um, the video is available on YouTube. We've tweeted it out, I think, now, and we can uh, link it to it in the description. Definitely, and I recommend tuning in if you've never seen it before because they are experts on suicide prevention, so they do a great job of connecting to current topics that are really relevant and getting to difficult questions about how to make suicide prevention efforts more effective. So it's it's really good. Plus, they're just, I mean... They're funny, smart, mm-hmm. and just have a great way of that's very comfortable talking about these serious mental health issues. So I definitely recommend checking them out. Yeah, and they cover a wide variety of topics, too. So, like, sort of our shtick with fictional characters, they were happy to do that, that we can talk about it. But just the fictional character thing, that's not something that they exclusively focus on. Sometimes they just talk about technology related to suicide prevention or specific research. I think they talked about 13 Reasons Why. So they're they're really a a wide breadth of topics. So there's absolutely certain to be something that will interest you in addition to the suicide prevention stuff. Definitely. And then additionally, we were also on the DocsCast, which is the official uh, podcast for the Paradox Comics and Cards store uh, here in Fargo. And we did an episode for the upcoming Batman Day holiday, uh, which of course is my favorite day, holiday of the year, and uh, is this Saturday, which is tomorrow. And which... it's fun this year because it's the 25th anniversary of Harley Quinn, and so the whole thing DC's doing is that she's taking over Batman Day. Yes. It sounds like there's going to be a lot of cool crossover comics with those two characters. Uh, so if you are in the Fargo-Moorhead area, check out Paradox for some free comics, uh, giving out masks and having Harley Quinn cosplayers, I think, which is cool. And I'm sure if you have a local comic book store, they'll have some in there, too. Um, and if you want to hear Katie and I talk a little bit about, well, we talked about Batman for a while, and then we mostly talked about a lot of the villains. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, just to to visit about my favorite character. Yeah, and Doc's Cast is also just a great podcast in general where they talk. It's 
our favorite comic book store, and mm-hmm. they just kind of talk about various comics as they come out and issues relevant to that. So it's fun. It's on iTunes. We'll link to Doc's cast, too. Absolutely. And then the one last thing that we sort of had to say today before we get into the, the good, good content is uh, we recently started a Patreon page where we've got a couple of fundraiser goals, uh, particularly the one that might be of most interest is when we hit that $10 per month mark, Katie and I are going to start a Rick and Morty podcast. So we did the three-part Rick and Morty uh, miniseries. We did the Rick and Morty SPSM episode, and there's been a lot of interest in it. So we were thinking, why don't we take the show Rick and Morty, break it down episode by episode, and discuss what did we think about the episode? What was some of the underlying mental health or psychology stuff? Um, we, we don't have a particular format in mind yet. We will get there. But that's kind of the idea is breaking down each episode and really just to go through the series. So I think total there will be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 episodes after season three is done and then more, assuming it continues, which I, I guess it will. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of the goal. Once we get to that $10 per month mark, we've got some, uh, some rewards for folks who are, uh, kind enough to become patrons of our podcast. And right now we're at the two, we're at two dollars out of ten dollars per month to meet the rick and morty goal so that's pretty cool so we thought we'd do a quick shout out to the kind people who are willing to help fund the new podcast and just to clarify the ten dollars per month it pays for hosting a new podcast oh, that's the yeah thank you yeah so it does uh for folks who maybe don't make podcasts or are just getting started it does cost money to host them so we thought uh we'd love to start another one and maybe defray some of the cost by just getting some uh some extra dollars yeah, so the uh, we had a, a couple of two two people who are kind enough, or I guess, well, one is an individual person, John T., uh, who is a local in the Fargo-Moorhead area, I believe, who is kind enough to uh, to join on. And then another one we have is the, actually the Panel to Panel podcast, which uh, we became associated with on Twitter. And I'm just going to really quickly read their bio because I want to give them a nice shout-out uh, as a nice thank you. So I'll just read it right as is. So, uh, Panel to Panel, the weekly comic book podcast where a bunch of guys sit around and shoot the breeze about comic books and such. Fanboys die hard. We share our passion every show and how much we love the comics we've read since we were young. Starring James Portis, Carlos uh, Melendez, Zane Troop, and Cade Weinman. Sounds like a great podcast and some heavy competition. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't listened to it yet, mm-hmm. so but I'm definitely going to check them out. And thank you very much for your support. Absolutely. I think that's all of the housekeeping stuff we have for today, right? I think that's true. We shouldn't leave our special guest waiting any longer. So... We have a very special treat today in podcast. He's kind of laughing as I say that, but um, Dr. Clayton Hilmert, who is a colleague and a great friend of mine, he does a lot of important research within health psychology. I admire his work a lot. One of the things that I really admire about your work is that it has implications for public policy, and I think that's really important that we see how research can connect to improving people's lives. In addition to that, Clayton is also a huge Star Wars geek and likes a lot of that stuff. And actually, so I mentioned, I've um, been wanting to have you on for a while. And since Clayton focuses on pregnancy research, it's like, who's a fictional character we can tie this to? And I love Winona Earp, probably heard me talk about that before. And Clayton kindly watched all of Winona Earp <laughs> to prepare for this podcast. I so I really appreciate that. And I... Today, we'll just kind of talk about some of Clayton's research and then go into connections with Winona Earp. So if you're trying to avoid Winona Earp spoilers, probably good to go watch season one and season two and then come back when you're done. 
Yep, good idea. Well, thanks for having me here. Looking forward to it. Well, one maybe just starting, how did you get into stress and pregnancy research and kind of what's your educational background? How did you get to this point? Okay, so uh, I started uh, studying stress when I was a graduate student at UC San Diego. Um, I was wanting to be a social psychologist, but ended up working in a lab that was interested in uh, how social support affects stress impacts on cardiovascular function, so how your blood pressure goes up and down when you get stressed. Um, and we started doing these studies where you would bring students into the lab and you would stress them out by making them give a speech or do math or do something that could be embarrassing in front of an audience. Uh, and then providing them with social support by telling them they're doing a good job or, you know, by not giving them social support and just letting them kind of dangle. Uh, and then looking at what their blood pressure does in these situations. Um, and that really started me getting interested in how the body and mind are linked, right? I mean, this has been an interest to psychologists for ages. I mean, even pre-psychology, the philosophers and physiologists that ask questions about how the body and mind are connected. Um, so I was then invited to a postdoc at UCLA uh, where they wanted me to look at blood pressure in pregnant women, uh, which to me, I had no idea what that was going to be like. Um, and I wasn't sure what I would do with it. But the further I got into this research, I realized that studying anything during pregnancy is almost like studying a whole new species. You know, I mean, it's it's a condition that makes a woman, uh, you know, very different from what she's like physiologically, psychologically uh, compared to when she's not pregnant. And it just became a really fascinating area uh, and has since been my focus. Great. Thanks for that background. Um, so one thing you said earlier, so you can one of the implications or reasons to study blood pressure is because it is linked to cardiovascular health. Do you mind just saying a little bit about how those two are linked? Yeah, sure. Uh, we all know that hypertension or high blood pressure, where your blood pressure is high all the time, uh, is a risk factor for heart attacks, for cardiovascular diseases of different types. Um, and we think that one reason for this is because the higher your blood pressure is, the more strain and stress uh, physically it's putting on your blood vessels and on your heart. Uh, creating what we would call wear and tear to the system. Uh, and it turns out when you respond to stress, if you do it with you know drastic increases in blood pressure over and over again, this is doing even more wear and tear. And it's actually putting little tears in your blood vessels. And if they uh, accumulate, and there's a lot of them, they don't get repaired by your immune system as fast as they normally would, then this will turn into uh, like scar tissue called atherosclerosis in your blood vessels, uh, which is a precursor to cardiovascular disease, uh, will lead to heart attacks and stroke even. So that is uh, one of the reasons that we look at stress and blood pressure. And in your findings, I, you mentioned social support, and of course in mental health, that's really important. We talk a lot about how people are more vulnerable to things like depression and all kinds of mental health problems if they don't have social support. Do, do you find in your studies that social support had some kind of effect that lessened the um, effect of stress on blood pressure? Yeah, it turns out that social support of all different kinds uh, helps us during uh, stressful times. So social support in terms of somebody being there holding your hand can make it so your blood pressure doesn't go up as high when you're under stress. Uh, just knowing somebody's in the other room 
even if they're not, it turns out. Uh, but thinking somebody's in the other room can lower your blood pressure in stressful times. Uh, and one of the findings that is one of my favorites is uh, having your pet dog with you in the room is uh, has similar effects to social support from a person. Um, cats, not so much. But huh. dogs, yes. <laughs> huh, I wonder why that is. That's, that's really fascinating, mm -hmm. and I think that shows implications of ways that people can be sure to kind of buffer themselves somewhat yeah. and protect themselves from stress. Very, very interesting. Um, in all of your research, is there a particular study that you've done that was particularly meaningful to you in terms of understanding stress in pregnancy? Well, you know, when you uh, come to Fargo, North Dakota, where we are, uh, and uh, become a researcher here, you search for uh, different ways you can find your niche. I mean, mm -hmm. no matter where you go. Uh, but in Fargo, I was able to find a niche uh, when it came to the stress of flooding, right? We all know that flooding occurs here uh, quite frequently. The Red River, because it flows north, uh, tends to thaw from south to north, and uh, we get uh, flooding here in the spring. So in 2009, uh, we had some historic flooding, and while this was occurring, I went out and uh, started gathering data from pregnant women. Uh, so who were pregnant during the major floods, and then uh, got access to their medical records. They gave us permission to do that uh, and found out that women who were closer to flooding areas, so uh, basically more stressed because of the flooding, uh, ended up having smaller babies than women who were further from the floods. Oh, wow. um, and the other main factor in this research is if they were early in pregnancy is when that, this had the biggest impact. So if you were early in pregnancy in your first or early second trimester when the flooding came uh, and you lived close to flooding, your baby was smaller. And so we, we believe this is a, an impact of the stress that occurred due to the flooding. And so it seems like two things. One, that the stress, so um, baby weight or size when born is considered one index of whether mm -hmm. it's a healthy birth. Yeah. And... Do you know what the mechanism is or what causes the stress to lead to a lower birth rate? Uh, that's, that's the big mind-body question, okay. right, is how does stress get under the skin and actually impact physical health? And, uh, you know, that's what a lot of our labs, including mine, have been looking at is exactly what the mechanisms are uh, that lead to this. So one thing we're focusing on in the lab now is looking at how stress is tied to uh, utero placental blood flow. So if the blood flow to the placenta or from the placenta to the fetus is somehow compromised by stress, that would explain how these things are happening. Um, but that's still a big question is how that occurs. Okay. And it also seems you mentioned, so the timing is big. And I no. hold on to that thought because you told me something interesting in your interpretation of Winona Earp. And yep. so be sure to get to that when we get to Winona Yep. How uh, about anything related to racial disparities in pregnancy outcomes in the U.S., Clayton? Can you tell us anything about that? So that was the, the first project I had at UCLA okay. uh, was all about racial disparities in pregnancy. Um, and it turns out that African-American women are two to three times more likely to have adverse pregnancy outcomes. These include... Uh, having low birth weight babies, which are at risk for higher infant mortality and a lot of developmental issues. Uh, also to give birth early, so to have preterm deliveries. Uh, again, we're talking two to three times more likely. Wow. This is one of the biggest health disparities in the United States. 
this difference between European white women and African-American women. Um, and it, it's a mystery as to exactly why this occurs. I mean, you know, access to health care and socioeconomic status play roles, but they don't explain the entire disparity um, that we see here. So we believe that stresses such as racial discrimination mm -hmm. may be playing a role. Uh, and we were doing research on how perhaps blood pressure was one of the mechanisms uh, that were connect that was connecting uh, racial stress to pregnancy outcomes. So we've done some research there as well, but still a very interesting issue um, in the United States. Do you tend to see those types of disparities in other countries? Uh, I, well, you don't see the high rates of uh, preterm deliveries and low birth weight in Africa. Okay. So it's not anything that's genetic mm -hmm. in terms of being African. It is about being a black American, it seems like. Um, interestingly, we don't see the same disparity, though, in other racial minorities in America. Um, and that's, an, again, another mystery. Um, in fact, we have a name for the Latino paradox, uh, where Latinas do not have the same sort of poor health outcomes, uh, even though they are an identifiable minority, meaning, you know, they could experience racism at the same levels as an African-American, but for some reason they don't have the same poor health outcomes. So, Again, researchers in pregnancy and other health outcomes have focused on this quite a bit. And if I'm remembering correctly, one of the studies that you did was focusing specifically on experiences of reported experiences of racism in childhood, mm -hmm. then predicting yeah. pregnancy. Yeah, you're going to be excited about my own research here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is very fascinating, too. And it's not we're not the only lab to have reported this. Um, but when we uh, ask people to remember experiences of racism that have occurred recently and to remember experiences that they had during childhood, it turns out that the experiences of racism in childhood are often better predictors of health in adulthood than recent experiences. Um, and this is actually in line with other research that's been looking at adverse childhood experiences. Uh, you may have heard of ACEs, they're called. Um, where we uh, are able to predict adulthood health outcomes by looking at serious stressors or traumatic stressors that have occurred in childhood. So there seems to be this you know, critical period in childhood where major stressors can have effects down the line throughout your life and end in higher risk of chronic disease. Do you think, or what's the thought on that? Is it that while you're developing during that critical time as a child that it does something to your physiology or something like that? or I do believe that there's a, a physiological reason and a, certainly a psychological reason. And, you know, in terms of the way I think about body and mind, it's they're both very closely connected. Um, but right now, I think the, the hypothesis I'm most fond of is that when you experience severe trauma and stress in childhood, you can be predisposed to having excessive stress responses. And I'm talking about, you know, getting very angry or very anxious at a psychological level every time you get stressed, but also at a physiological level, having those extreme blood pressure reactions we talked about. There's also hormones that can be released that can have impacts on your health. And if you get sort of programmed uh, to respond to stress this way in childhood, that pattern of stress responding can occur throughout the rest of your life. And the more times it happens, the more often it happens, the more wear and tear occurs, which we talked about, and the more wear and tear, 
put you at risk of those chronic diseases, including adverse pregnancy outcomes. Um, and so that's why we think that uh, in our study, we saw that women, uh, African-American women who reported childhood experiences of racism were having uh, adverse or smaller, giving birth to smaller babies in our study specifically, um, may have been because of the lifetime of stress responding that they had experienced up to the point of their pregnancy. Were there a particular type of experiences of racism or was it kind of looking at a broad array of racist experiences? Uh, we looked at an overall uh, racism experience, but um, another interesting thing that we find in not just in our study, but in other studies is you can ask about personal experiences of racism, right? Did you, did somebody discriminate against you because of your race? Uh, but also ask about vicarious experiences. So did you witness somebody else uh, experience racism? And in childhood, uh, in a few other studies, they've found that it's vicarious experiences uh, that are predicting adulthood health outcomes. Um, now, I think that a big part of this is because in childhood, most of your experiences of racism are vicarious, meaning that you see your parents, your relatives, older individuals experiencing and reacting to racist uh, experiences. Um, and I think that's probably what you're remembering most, but that is my hypothesis. I don't know that we have any solid evidence that that's why vicarious racism is having this predictive power. It's interesting. I wonder if uh, just speculating if another part of it is as you're forming your concept of who you are is impacted if you kind of identify with a particular group and see members of that similar group being treated a certain way, if that changes the way that you assess your own worth. That's less of, I mean, again, body-mind, I believe they're connected, but that's kind of looking more in a mind Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Way. I think that the, it'll be, there'll be much more, uh, much more global or, uh, effects of racist experiences in childhood in terms of your self-concept, your identity, and how you're going to respond to, you know, uh, throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. I, I think this research is so important because, like you said, this is leading to very real health outcomes. It's something that's not well understood or easily explained away mm -hmm. based on some of the explanations that people first assume, like socioeconomic status or access to resources or being a member of an ethnic minority group. And so ultimately, it seems like part of the reason your research is so important and why you're passionate about it is that it can inform how to prevent these adverse outcomes. And so based on your research and what you know in this area, what kind of suggestions would you have to improve pregnancy outcomes, reduce disparities and in general? Well, one thing that I've been working on um, reducing infant mortality with different collaboratives in the region uh, and trying to figure out exactly how to do these sorts of things. Um, and of course, you know, working on making people understand the importance of reducing stress and trauma in childhood uh, is, is really important, right? I mean, we need to help protect children as much as we can. Uh, now, that said, you know, I recently gave a TEDx talk here at NDSU where uh, I made the point we can't prevent all stress in childhood. I mean, things happen. Uh, but what we do know is that if uh, a child receives care post-stress from a caring, nurturing parent or otherwise other caregiver, this may be able to buffer the effects of that stress. Um, and there's research suggesting this. And so I've been promoting 
and been working on um, hopefully making changes in the future to uh, providing better parental leave policies in the United States. Um, I mean, we as a country are, you know, way out of line with other countries, industrialized countries uh, that do offer parental leave. I mean, it, for some reason we don't. I mean, there's only like three countries in the entire world that don't, or I think it's seven, actually. It's been a while since I gave the talk. Uh, but these other six countries, uh, they are not nearly as industrialized and advanced as we are. Um, so it doesn't make any sense that we don't have better parental leave policies. If parents can be with their children, not worrying about where their income's coming from, losing their job, uh, you know, when they're going to have to get back to work, uh, I think that they would be able to provide better care and hopefully buffer against childhood trauma that would be having these effects we've been talking about. So those are two things that I've been focusing on myself. Thanks for describing that. And I, I think we should maybe mention, you know, you mentioned that the United States is kind of stands out in with regard to its parental leave policy. What about where does it stand in terms of infant mortality rate or other adverse birth outcomes compared to the rest of the world? Oh, I should have reviewed all my statistics before no, I you, came here. I don't need but, exact numbers. The general gist is good. I mean, being the leader of We'll the, link to your TED Talk, so right, exactly. that has link the numbers. My, so that has the numbers, but mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's it's surprising when we find out that how low on the list we are uh, for preventing infant mortality. I mean, we are something like 32nd on that list. Whereas, you know, in terms of having the lowest infant mortality rate, you'd expect us to be much closer to having one of the lowest. And we certainly don't. A lot of countries have much lower uh, infant mortality rates than we do. Um, also, in terms of preterm delivery and low birth weight uh, babies, we're also not uh, anywhere near the best country there. We, we have high rates of those as well. Um, so it's, it's like that with a lot of our health outcomes in the United States, right? I mean, we just don't look as healthy as our country should. Yeah, that's, a, that's a great point, and I'm glad you're leading some work in an area of this that's really important. So, Winona Earp. Brandon, you have not seen Winona no, Earp, I'm right? not going to have okay. a lot to offer this part. Clayton was a better <laughs> podcast co-host than I was today. <laughs> well, you were kind of busy dealing it's, with it's stuff. True. I had other stuff going on, but, but so yeah, but... I, but I'm excited to watch it for whatever. That Are we gonna for. ruin it? Do you need to leave the room? No, I'll be okay. okay. I'll be okay. <laughs> I was wondering how you were gonna fit me into the podcast, which I do listen to. You know. Well, thank and you. I mean, I mean, so I actually looked up. There is a Japanese comic book oh. uh, that um, I don't know anything about, but it's called Most Fruitful Yuki, and it's about a, a, a superhero who's always pregnant. Um, oh. But yeah, I don't know much about it other than what it says on the Wikipedia. Oh, cool! I'll have to um, look into most so fruitful Yuki. But yeah, I wasn't <laughs> I gonna. It. Yeah, I wasn't gonna read most fruitful Yuki, but I did watch Winona Earp uh, because I have my Netflix and uh, I do like shows like this. So uh, yeah, I found it really entertaining. I, you know, I asked people for questions about Winona Earp, and a lot of them were things that I can't answer. Like what? Like, and it's hard to speculate on like. Um, what is Waverly really? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm as, like, I'm not really good at guessing and I'd figuring like those know. things out. I do. So if any listeners know, then let us know so we can solve that mystery. But, yes. but in general, Winona Earp is the great, great granddaughter of Wyatt Earp. I'm looking at Brandon, <laughs> <laughs> yep. even though he hasn't watched confirm. it. <laughs> and so the gist of this show is that 
sometimes we get people listen who haven't watched the show is that there is a curse in the family and the heir, the the oldest born, um, and Wyatt Earp, of course, a real character who I got lost in like a Wikipedia wormhole of Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp. Uh-huh. And I was fascinated. But anyway, we'll return to that some other time. Fascinating. So anyway, Winona Earp, the premise is that she's a great, great granddaughter and she's the heir, meaning that um, all of the people that Wyatt Earp killed, basically, in in um, when he was a deputy, uh, come back every 27 years as revenants. And they the, the eldest has to kill them with his peacemaker gun to send them back to hell. And even though Winona is not te- technically the oldest when she was young, her the oldest sister was kidnapped, and they tried to take her dad, who was the active heir at the time, seven rev- revenants did. And she tried to shoot at the revenants to save her dad, and she killed her dad. So starting right off the bat, horrible trauma. And then we look into her childhood, and it's just, she's treated very much like an outcast. I mean, she ultimately moves to Greece to give her family and her sister a chance to live out of her shadow. She sounds like she was in and out of mental health facilities, that she was in juvenile detention center, that she had um, a lot of criminal problems, which is very sad. And there's not much about what happened directly after, but they kind of do that. In the first season, they show that she drinks a lot of alcohol, often in response to stress. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm going to write a post, I'm actually in in the works, I'm writing it, that will go into more details about mental health stuff with Winona, including if, so in the second season, we find out she's pregnant, and I'll talk about whether or not she, I think she's at risk for peripartum depression and things like that, and so that post is forthcoming, but what we wanted to focus on with Clayton today is to talk about some of the stressors she experiences during her actual pregnancy and how that might impact the outcome. Yeah. No, I, I was, when you told me that she was pregnant and still uh, fighting demons, I was I was intrigued and had to check out the second season. And uh, I did watch the, the first season, and uh, but uh, the second season I thought was uh, really interesting. So the, the first thing I picked up on, right, is when you watch it, she, uh, somehow there's a time warp where she uh, she conceives, but then they like skip over the first and second trimester. Basically, uh, is that is, am I remembering? Yes, there's right? something. There is a kind of magical thing that happens to the town that speeds up time. And so, mm-hmm. off of the show, apparently this was a decision because the actress who plays Winona Earp was pregnant to not do what a lot of shows do, which is hide it or try to treat it differently my brief Frasier reference like <laughs> did you watch Frasier oh yeah when Daphne was pregnant yeah. they act like it's she just gained a lot of weight I don't know about that <laughs> treatment of it but I'm like oh my gosh but instead Emily Andros and the creators of Winona Earp said this is an opportunity to show this badass demon hunter yes. <laughs> who is pregnant and is still a demon hunter and so she anyway. was that yeah yeah so yeah, that was the first thing I noticed because, and it uh, it makes a lot of sense because in early on in pregnancy, uh, like I mentioned with the flooding study, uh, if you're earlier in pregnancy, the pregnancy is more vulnerable to stress. Uh, it seems like you know uh, there's some sort of protective buffer that develops in pregnancy, um, so that the more your body has uh, put resources into keeping the pregnancy, so if you're in your first, second trimester. 
a lot of resources and energy has gone into this developing fetus that now your body starts saying, okay, well, we're going to do whatever we can to protect what we have now. Uh, whereas early on in pregnancy, if there's a lot of stress, your body might say, you know what, maybe now is a bad time to be having a pregnancy and the pregnancy could, you know, end uh, with an adverse outcome of some sort early on. So they skipped over all of the vulnerable <laughs> well, part yeah. uh, and brought her to this later part. Now, here's the other interesting thing is when I say there's a buffer, uh, first of all, there's looks like there's a physiological buffer, meaning that your body doesn't respond to stress as strongly in your third trimester as it does in your first and second trimester, uh, that there may not be as many hormones released, your blood pressure may not go up as much. Um, and so we can see all that occurring at some physiological level. But there's also specific research showing that psychologically, a woman does not respond to stress as strongly in her third trimester as she does early in pregnancy. Um, and that this is, uh, this is a buffer, meaning that after pregnancy, she goes back to responding to stress more like she would have in her first trimester. So, so it, it's actually some strength is built up sort of in your third trimester uh, against stress. And so I was looking at not only is she a superhero, but now she's an extra superhero because she should be able to deal with stress even better now. I mean, she was badass before she was pregnant, but now, whoa, you know, look out is what I was thinking. That um, is amazing. I had no idea. I knew I heard a little bit about timing because I think of stuff like research suggesting if the pregnant mother has a flu in the first trimester that it might have a or, or the second trimester. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I don't remember which one. I didn't <laughs> study either for this. But during a particular trimester, it's more impactful than the other. So the mm -hmm. idea that it makes sense totally from what you're saying, but I, I didn't think about that. So that is kind of a cool thing that whether planned or not, I'm guessing it just worked out that yeah, way. Probably. <laughs> that, I mean, because Winona Earp does go on to experience a lot of stress, including in her labor and delivery, which is extremely stressful. And I don't know because she wasn't even in a hospital when that happened, but it's not like they did the APGAR tests or something. The baby right. appears healthy once it's born, but. Right, right. And I'm just wondering, do you know, um, did they not, did, did they only film that season with her being that pregnant because of the timing of the when they were planning to film it? I mean, or did she say, no, I don't want to film it while I'm pregnant? But then when she got to this point in pregnancy, she said it's okay? That's a great question. I have no idea. Because you know what? I, I mean, if she's still vulnerable to stress or she's just if she's sensitive to stress in the first trimester and they said, do you want to film this season now? She might be like, no, no, no. Second trimester, do you want to do it now? No. Third trimester, you want to do it? Sure, why not? I mean, it's completely the opposite of what I'd expect, right? Usually you'd expect by the time a woman is in her third trimester and carrying all that extra weight that, you know, there would be a lot more sensitivity and vulnerability. But it seems like it's the opposite, right? It seems like uh, they're protected at that point. Yeah, that's that's a great point, and I think that's part of why there was such a positive response to it. That you know, it was it's really empowering and cool to see a woman who is that pregnant, but also has very intentional purpose in her life as the heir and is working hard to do that. And it's not like they ignore the fact that she's pregnant. They show her doing certain things, like with regarding to eating or nausea or having to go to the bathroom or like they put in these things or even you know not drinking which is a big deal for her so right. they they acknowledge the pregnancy it's not like this mystical pregnancy that's totally 
devoid of those things, but she she adjusts and keeps doing her job, basically, which is really a cool depiction. Yeah, you know what that reminds me of is another pregnant character, which is Marge from Fargo. Oh, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, of course. She yeah. had the same sort of, you know, she was late in pregnancy, but she's still moving forward doing her job being resilient and winning an Academy Award for that performance. Yeah, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that living mm. here in Fargo, yeah. having posed with the Margie statue in the Fargo theater that's yeah. made of wood chips. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a great point. That's another just good depiction. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Because the only other one I was thinking of is like such a tragedy. I was thinking about um, Padme and, oh, you know, yeah. uh what a horridly stressful pregnancy and of course there are other forces at work there in terms of the outcome which no is pun good. intended yeah <laughs> it actually wasn't intended which is unusual for me <laughs> yeah uh, yeah true. dark forces specifically dark forces, <laughs> yes. forces yeah and gee yeah her stress was from the very beginning of the pregnancy too so that yeah. may explain you know some of the outcomes for her pregnancy but yeah that's a good point so I, I think that, you know, um, for in terms of the pregnancy, that's helpful to know. And then I, I like to think, you know, the way that, again, spoilers for anyone who hasn't listened, at the end she decides to give her baby to a trusted relative to care for because she is in such danger. She has demons after her all of the time. The town, Purgatory, is not mm-hmm. the best place to raise a child. And... I thought it was really moving how they depicted that, though. She's clearly super strong and fierce and perseveres, and she does connect with the baby as soon as the baby's born. She's very sad, even though she feels that's the right decision. So it was a really emotional way to end the season, and yeah. I'm, I'm really happy they're renewed because I, I want to find out what happens next. But um, in addition to that, I think, and this will kind of be the focus more on my blog post, is that because she has a history of some mental health issues, which is interesting, some of them are mental health issues, some of them are not. It was her saying that there are demons and people saying, no, there aren't any demons, mm-hmm. and that happens a lot in sci-fi stuff, you know, that... She's reporting on real things, and they lead her to think. And even some of, it seems like some of the townspeople are onto that, including the sheriff, who's, I forgot how mean they were. I started rewatching season one, and like they're pretty mean to her and call her nuts and crazy and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like the sheriff later, you find out, kind of knows better. He knows there are supernatural forces, but it's almost like they want to keep it quiet, and so they tell her to not talk about it. And so those types of stressors might make her vulnerable post-pregnancy to to mental health concerns no and i i wonder i mean she's she's a tough person Mm -hmm. so you think that they wouldn't go that direction but it would be really interesting if they did right if she uh came out of pregnancy where she was tough and she did all these amazing things in season two and if they started off season three with her in some sort of postpartum depression dealing with things that you know made her weaker um, at that point, I think another amazing thing about the show is the social support she has, right? Yeah. I mean, they have a very tight-knit group of individuals that are all uh, fighting for the same thing. And, um, you know, it, it would be nice to see that really come and pick her up. There we go. Season three. It'll be awesome. I, we've got it all planned <laughs> out. Well, even I think about the way that they do get closer to her and more expressive about it because starting out dolls and doc holiday they're not real expressive about how much they care for her but it becomes very clear and they become more active in that and 
you know, I could see both ways. I mean, because if she was affected by depression after she had the baby, that could be very powerful too, because it's a really strong person because right, that has nothing to do with vulnerability to mental health problems, how very strong people are not immune from suffering from mental health problems. And I think about, we actually talked a little bit about this um, on Doc's cast, like Batgirl, she's super strong character, but has post-traumatic stress disorder after the Joker uh, shot at her. And so I think that has a place too that's very meaningful because it can show people like Buffy, as I've talked about a lot, um, dealing with these mental health issues and showing that it's it's not about being tough. But I think the social support, including in Buffy, is is a lot of what helps protect against those things. So it's nice to see that they get that right because... Oh, yeah. No, I mean, that's one of the, mm-hmm. when, you, when you ask, when people ask, how do I be, what can I do to be healthier? Uh, what can I do to be more resilient, which is a real uh, loaded term these days. I mean, people want to know how to be resilient. And I'd say we don't know a lot about what makes each person resilient, because I think there's a lot of differences. Uh, but the one thing we do know is that having a good social support in your life is uh, is a factor that it seems to affect everybody positively. Um so, yeah, I think that's an important component of all of these characters that are suffering from whatever ailments or psychological issues you guys discussed. Yeah. Anything else about Winona Earp before we go to the quickfire questions? So just some sample questions uh, that we always give our special guests. First one, what's your favorite podcast? Besides this one. <laughs> Naturally. Good answer, I, thank that's you. That's a good answer. Besides this one, which I did say I do listen to. I do. And, and I, I enjoy it. I appreciate it. And that. I often I comment, too. too. You do, <laughs> and true. we appreciate yes. that, yeah. Um, but I, I would say that, you know, the other, I listen to three other ones pretty regularly, and that's, uh, they're big ones. They're Radio Lab, This American Life, and, um, oh, uh, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me When I yes. Need a Laugh. <laughs> yes. yes that Those are all so really good. good. Yeah. And certainly on... The same level as this podcast. Right? <laughs> exactly. The production oh, yes. value is yeah. very similar. <laughs> very much so. Uh, our next one is, uh, do you prefer Star Wars or Star Trek? I'm a Star Wars person. I love Star Trek now that I'm older, but I grew up as a huge Star Wars fan. I still have my toys. I let my kids play with them uh, occasionally. <laughs> as long as they're being supervised closely. Yeah. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to The Last Jedi. And yes. Yeah, be awesome. What do you think the title means? What do I think it means? Boy, I don't know. Light and dark come together and there's no longer the Jedi. I don't know. Super Jedi. Boy, now we could spend a whole podcast just oh, yeah. on that. Invite me back for that. We will. Oh, we will. <laughs> I need to know. Yeah. And our, our last one is, who's your favorite fictional character? Uh, this was the toughest one for mm-hmm. me because I, I went through and through. But, you know, after since we've had this podcast, today and maybe tomorrow, I think my favorite fish, fictional character is Margie. From Fargo, oh, nice. she was uh, she was one of my favorites when it, it, she was just fantastic in that role and uh, yeah, so she's my favorite today. She's good. And <laughs> did you did you live in Fargo? You didn't when that came out, right? No, I can't I didn't. remember what year that came out. Did you find retrospectively that you liked the movie even more having lived in Fargo? Because I mm-hmm. felt that way. I moved here after the movie, and I was like, oh, I kind of get more of the jokes now. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I loved the movie. I think it might have given me more of an affinity for Fargo once I got here. Oh, okay. Uh, kind of the other way around, just to see that, you know what, there are really people that do talk that way. It's not all of us. It's not all of us, but that beautiful sing-songy sort of uh, accent is real, and mm-hmm. some people have it. So, 
And also in the winter, it can look like that. Yeah, if you go out of town and, yeah, the wind blows just right, (laughs) it certainly can. It'll be here before we know it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. All right. Any closing thoughts from either Dr. Gordon or Dr. Hilmer? Do you want to do your Pearl of Wisdom? I think Dr. Hilmer had the Pearl of Wisdom when he uh, discussed the importance of social support and the really positive impact that can have on all of us. I think that's better than any Pearl of Wisdom I could ever come up with. I thought that was really, really nice to hear. It made me appreciate my social support that I have. I agree. Thanks so much for coming on, Clayton. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's, that'll be it for this week. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening in, and uh, you'll hear from us next week. Thank <laughs> you.